Chapter 24 I officially appoint you Hyrule's champions and bestow upon you this sacred garb. That blue is a symbol of the royal family, one that has been passed down for countless generations. Those garments you now wear were all crafted by my daughter Zelda. Do you think it's true? Link said, pinching some of the blue tunic he wore between his thumb and index finger, looking at its color. That Princess Zelda actually sewed this. I don't see why not, Daruk said, reaching down to touch the bolt of blue fabric that he'd wrapped around his torso. Isn't sewing something that your Hylian women do? Link chuckled. Be careful who you say things like that around. At Daruk's confused expression, he reached out and patted the Goron's arm. He could be a little clueless at times. It's one of the reasons that Link enjoyed being around him so much. Daruk spoke from the heart. He turned his attention back down to the blue fabric that he now wore, considering. I doubt she sewed mine. Why do you say that, brother? Because she hates me. His voice grew soft, and he shifted the sword on his back, trying to make it comfortable. It never seemed to sit right. He missed his old sword. No one ever looked at that sword. Uh, don't be crazy, Daruk said, shaking his head. He slapped Link's back hard, knocking the air from his lungs. She doesn't hate you. She's just stressed. She's a princess. That's a stressful job. Link gave his friend an incredulous look. How could he not see it? The looks that Princess Zelda gave him, or, other times, the looks she refused to give him. She had greeted each of them with warmth and kindness that day as she gave each of them their champion's garment. Except for Link. He had been given a curt Sir Link, before she practically shoved the tunic into his arms and turned away from him to address the others again. The day had started pleasantly enough. It was supposed to be a day of celebration. Hyrule Castle had been decorated in sky-blue banners to celebrate the occasion. The Champion Appointment Ceremony. Link had risen early, before any of the other knights, and had gone to bathe. His official duties had been put on hold that day due to his participation in the ceremony, allowing him some precious time alone. He got less and less of that solitary time lately. Then the champions began to arrive. The Zora contingent arrived with all the splendor and fanfare that was expected of them, swimming through the river in a brilliantly colorful formation, Mipha at their lead. Leaping out of the water like salmon swimming upriver, the Zora's wet scales shimmered in the morning light like precious gems. When Mipha emerged from the banks, she greeted the king and Princess Zelda first, and then her eyes had immediately sought Link's. The Gorons followed, arriving like a line of rolling boulders across the land. They rolled right through the center of Castletown. Though they lacked the showmanship of the Zora, their speed of approach and size more than made them an intimidating sight to behold. When Daruk unfolded himself, he grinned far more broadly than Decorum would have dictated, taking the king's hand in both of his own and shaking enthusiastically. Then he hugged Princess Zelda, a sight that had been almost worth the day's unpleasantness to see. She merely patted his arm uncomfortably, dwarfed by his massive size. The Rito followed shortly after the Gorons. They flew in the air, carrying with them long, colorful streamers. Using these streamers, they put a show on over Castletown, creating rainbows and other designs in the air. Rivali outflew the rest of them by far, swooping low over the rooftops and dropping candy and flowers for the awaiting children, who screamed with delight. When Rivali finally landed, he did so with dramatic flair, landing in a crouch with his wings outstretched to either side. Then he greeted the king and Princess Zelda, with a deep bow and a flourish of his wings before meeting Link's eyes, and giving him a look of utter disdain. Finally, 
the Gerudo arrived. Riding in on their tall, slender desert horses, they approached more like a warband than a delegation. Riding through Castletown at speed, each armed with a curved sword and bejeweled shield. The women were dressed in an assortment of colors, and each wore enough jewelry to prosper a small nation. Urbosa rode at their head, approaching the castle gate and rearing her horseback in just the right way to allow the sun to catch her fiery red hair. Then she dismounted and approached the king and princess, unsheathing her sword and bowing low with it held in the palms of her outstretched hands. When she rose, Link thought for sure he had caught something of a mischievous look pass between her and Princess Zelda. What followed only seemed to cement the fact that Link did not want to be here. Lady Impa, the king's Sheikah advisor and chief historian, gave them all the history lesson that they all knew by heart by this point. The old fight against Calamity Ganon, the Sheikah technology used to subdue it, the roles of the hero, the princess, and the champions four, and of course, the ceiling of the beast. It had been an uncomfortable lesson, as they had all of those things that contributed to their victory, except for one, likely the most important one, a princess with the ability to seal Calamity Ganon again. Without that, it was very possible that everything they did was for naught. Princess Zelda's posture during the proceedings spoke volumes of the pressure upon her. Link thought that he could relate, in a way. Though he had the Master Sword firmly strapped to his back, he felt woefully unprepared to actually use it in battle against the beast. If only he could find a way to actually say as much to the princess. Every time he tried to speak with her, when he passed her in the halls of the castle, or out on the castle grounds, she neither rebuffed him, or he lost his nerve. What good would it do to admit to her that they were in even worse trouble than she already thought? But who else could he speak to about it? Thankfully, Daruk had been there to brighten the mood. During the lessons, he had been the only one to speak up, asking questions of Impa. Questions like, Do we know how big this Calamity Ganon guy is going to be? And, Are you sure there isn't another divine beast out there for the Hylians? Kind of strange that they don't get one, if you ask me. And what about the Sheikah? Each had the effect of easing the tension, whether or not that was Daruk's intention. Following the lesson, the champion's garments were each given by Princess Zelda in the room set apart for their preparation. Then each of the champions, along with Link and Princess Zelda, gathered in the sanctum and swore to King Bosformus to work together to defeat Calamity Ganon. He proclaimed them to be Champions of Hyrule, charging Princess Zelda to lead them against the threat of Calamity Ganon. It was striking that, in that moment, Princess Zelda had been the only one of their six to not be wearing a special champion's garment, instead wearing a royal blue dress, set apart, similar, but noticeably different. The whole ceremony was given all the gravitas and ceremony that it probably deserved, and it had been utterly miserable for at least two involved. Brother? He blinked, coming back to the present and looking at Daruk's concerned expression. Sorry, I was distracted. Just thinking about... Link sighed. Ah, everything. You probably need to eat some food. Eating always helps me clear my mind. Daruk nodded sagely. Link smiled, feeling the warmth of affection for the Goron. It could be so simple at times. But Link didn't think any less of him for that. To Daruk, things were simple. He lived his life to the fullest without worrying about what others thought of him, or even what he would do tomorrow. Link wished he could live the same way. In some ways, he had lived that way before pulling the Master Sword. Simple. He missed Simple. You're probably right. I felt like I couldn't eat very much during the feast. Too many people watching me. Us. Daruk raised his white eyebrows. Really? I just ate like I always do. He considered for a moment. Was that wrong? The big Goron had eaten incredibly disruptively, crunching rocks between his teeth loudly enough to make conversation around their table. The head table in the feast hall difficult. Not that there would have been much conversation anyway, 
Link was sure that some of the nobility and important guests in the hall had been giving Daruk disapproving looks, but he neither noticed nor cared. Not at all, Link said, shaking his head. I just didn't have much of an appetite. Well, that's not like you at all. Are you feeling sick? Yeah, maybe. Maybe you should talk to Mifa then. I don't think her healing would work on this, Link said, fingering the leather strap of the Master Sword slung across his chest. Daruk fixed Link with his blue eyes, and Link suddenly had the uncomfortable feeling that the Goron could see right through him. For all his simplicity and bluntness, Daruk could be surprisingly astute at times. Have you tried talking to her about it? He finally asked. Link felt the tips of his ears grow warm. Always to the heart of the matter, Daruk. He quickly dropped his hand back to his side. Yes, he paused. No, not really. Every time I'm around her, she... Well, it's like I said. She hates me. She doesn't want me to talk to her. Glumly, he added. I'm not even sure I want to talk to her. We're all champions. We're all brothers and sisters now. We'll see, Doruk. We don't exactly have reason to spend time around each other. She's a princess. I'm a knight. Maybe if I became a royal guard like father. But I'm not sure that's what I want anyway. He preferred to be outdoors and disliked the times that he was expected to stand guard in some cold hallway of stone. Well... Maybe you'll get chosen to be Princess Zelda's personal knight. She told me that they're going to select the best swordsman in the country. Link closed his eyes, grimacing. Don't remind me. But I don't think she would want me to be chosen. She would insist on it being someone else. Daruk placed a massive hand on Link's shoulder, squeezing. You'll get there, brother. She will too. You two just need to learn to see the gems in the stone. Link didn't respond. Walking to one end of the stone gazebo they were standing under, directly under the castle in one of the many royal gardens. He leaned against one of the pillars, looking up towards Princess Zelda's room and tower far above them. He could see her on the rampart there, joined by Urbosa. She leaned against the parapet and looked down towards him. Link felt his face grow hot, and he turned away, instead turning to look out over at the land stretching before them. He could see so far here. The land of Hyrule seemed to go on forever. What would happen to this wild and beautiful land, should he fail? Say, you know what you need? Daruk scratched his hairy chin. Now, hear me out here. You just picked up the Master Sword out and got recognized as a champion, right? Link looked back at him, confused. Basically, yeah. So you didn't really have a choice in the matter like we did. Right. Link's lips formed a thin smile. Well, you know, the princess came and asked each one of us if we could be the champions. I'm willing to bet that she never did so for you. Dark, there's nothing to ask. I drew the sword. I was chosen or something. Child of destiny. Chosen of the sword that seals the darkness. Hero of Hyrule. Yeah. But she asked all of us. It made us a team, you know. But she never asked you. Exactly. She never wanted me. She never wanted the sword to be drawn, Doric smirked knowingly. I don't think it has anything to do with you. Link disagreed but said nothing. Anyway, maybe we should get her to ask you. We can make it official that way. But the king just asked me today. I accepted in the ceremony. But the princess didn't. Daruk nodded, slapping his hands together. That's it. I'll talk to the princess today. We'll all be there. And she can ask you formally to join us as the Hylian champion. That'll fix things, I bet. Link looked at Daruk, perplexed at how the Goron thought that would fix anything. But again, he often saw things in a more simplistic light. Maybe he would be right, ultimately. Link doubted it, but maybe. Of course, he wasn't sure the princess would even deign to do such a task. She had made her feelings on him abundantly clear. He looked back out, searching past the bustling castle town in Hyrule Field, 
finding the distant Great Plateau. It was so far away, yet he could just make it out, hazy in the distance. He hoped that it would be a long time before the sword on his back was needed. He feared that it wouldn't be. Yunobo was nothing like the giant that was Doruk. Where Doruk was imposing and powerful, Yunobu seemed smaller than his size would suggest. Where Doruk was loud, boisterous, and always had the ability to make Link laugh, Yunobo was quiet, nervous, and hesitant. It wasn't that Link disliked the young Goron, but seeing him wear that sash, fashioned after the same one worn by Doruk all those years ago, felt wrong to Link. That cloth meant something 100 years ago. The youthful Goron was Daruk's grandson. Link had no memory of Daruk as a father, but he supposed that he simply did not remember such details yet. The Goron had appeared to be older than the rest of them, save for Mipha, perhaps. Yet, for as little as Link could remember of the big Goron, he did not see much of Daruk in his descendant. He sighed, turning over in his bed at the Roland Rock Inn. He felt as though the effects of the fireproof elixir had begun to wear off, and the temperature in the open room was steadily climbing. Even lying on the top of the bedding, Link was sweating, unable to get comfortable. Bluto had insisted that Yunobo accompany Link to visit Rudania. It wasn't something that either Link or Yunobo seemed altogether pleased with, though the young Goron had accepted without verbal complaint. Yunobo, Bluto claimed, knew how to work the cannons that they used to drive Rudania off when the machine got too close to the prime spots to collect the rock roast. They would have to hit the Divine Beast with enough cannon fire to drive it back down into the mouth of Death Mountain, where he said it would be the easiest place for Link to board it, once Link revealed the existence of the paraglider. He had no idea how Link would get back out, but Link assured him that would not be a problem. When Link had brought up the danger in Vault, Thinking back to the way that Ruta had attempted to kill Link and Sidon before it had been freed, Bluto laughed, patting Yunobo on the back. He exclaimed that Yunobo was perfectly capable of defending himself, and left it at that, allowing no further arguments. In truth, Link hadn't wanted to argue further at that point. Thoughts of the memory he'd seen upon coming face to face with Yunobo swirling around in his mind like a swarm of biting gnats. He had needed to get away from the other two Gorons. He'd needed to be alone with his thoughts. The champions, the princess, the apparent disdain that Princess Zelda felt towards Link, and the reciprocal feelings he had for her. What had happened between them that made them dislike each other in those earlier times? Link wished he knew. What he saw had been a far cry from what he experienced at the Spring of Power, and it bothered him that the two glimpses into his past were at such odds with each other. He wondered if Daruk was right in the end. Perhaps Link had eventually approached Princess Zelda with the anxiety that he felt about their shared destiny. Maybe she had come to him instead, expressing anguish over her lack of sealing power. It seemed likely to him that they had somehow gotten over their differences before Link had been assigned as her personal knight, or she would have rejected his assignment. At least he had expected that she would do so in the memory. He wished he still had Daruk nearby to speak about it. He closed his eyes, experiencing a stab of remorse at the thought. Daruk and Mipha, the two champions that he had any real knowledge of. Their loss felt all the more tragic and painful, though Link still only had a handful of clear memories of either of them. They had both been his friends, and they were gone. Link sat up in his bed, sliding his legs off the edge and placing his feet on the floor. Thick carpeting had been laid out to prevent him from burning his feet on the hot stone that made up much of Goron City's ground, but he could still feel its warmth through the carpet. Link walked over to a shelf where a number of glass jars had been laid out, each full of the same gray sludge. He unstopped one of them and downed the elixir, feeling its effects shortly thereafter. The carpet did not seem as warm anymore. The air wasn't as sweltering. His sweat suddenly felt cooler on his skin than it had a few moments before. 
Link walked over to where he had laid out his clothes, pulling on his tunic and trousers before slipping his feet into his boots. He walked as silently as he could out of the inn, out into the mostly quiet city. Goron City had an orange glow to it in the night. Magma still flowed through it similar to the way a stream of water might bisect a village like Hateno. Far above Goron City, Death Mountain rose, shining brilliantly with evidence of recent eruptions. Even the smoke rising from its open mouth glowed with the light of the lava in its depths. It looked dangerous and unwelcoming. A shiver ran down his spine as Link realized that he could very well perish on the next day. It was a sobering thought, though he also thought it to be simultaneously ridiculous. He had nearly died several times since awakening, most recently by an assassin's blade. He didn't think that he feared death any longer, yet the thought still came. He would attempt to free divine beast Varudanya tomorrow. He would either succeed or die trying. He focused on Death Mountain. Rudanya crawled up there somewhere, ever-present. Narrowing his eyes, Link glared towards the fiery peak. He had already died once. He would not fear facing that death again, especially if it meant avenging a brother. So you really knew Daruk? Yonobo asked, as he and Link circled the path around Monument Rock and walked towards Death Mountain. The air already seemed to be getting hotter as their elevation increased. They had passed by a massive lake of magma, the northern mine that the Gorons used to get some of their best ore from. It was abandoned now, however, thanks to Radania. The increased magma flow had quickly cut off the most of the mine. It would take a long time to ever be able to use the mine again, even if they managed to stop the constant eruptions. Link looked over at Yonobo, trying again, but failing to see much of Daruk in the Goron. I did. He was a good friend. He frowned some, looking away. From what I can remember. All that Yonobo said in response was, Oh, before he fell silent once more. Link wore his blue champion's tunic, but no excess armor or shirt under the tunic. His armor had done little to protect him during this previous encounter in Varuta, so it made little sense to worry about it now. He had donned a pair of gloves and tied his hair back with a bandana to better keep sweat from dripping into his eyes. He carried his bow and arrows, including the ancient arrows provided to him by Robbie. He left his Zora's sword at the inn, instead opting to just bring the ancient sword at his waist. His Sheikah shield remained strapped to his back, however. He also carried the paraglider, which he had wrapped in a leather sheath to keep it protected from the elements. Yonobo looked the same as he did the day before, including the champion's sash wrapped around his neck like a kerchief. The ruby goron symbol rested on his chest, held in place by the two ends of the champion's garment. Today, however, he also carried a large bag full of water on his shoulders, and he had slung a smaller bag on one arm that was full of fireproof elixirs. Link appreciated that, as it meant less to weigh him down on the climb, which was already promising to be difficult. Link allowed the silence to stretch between them for a time, letting his eyes wander around the barren landscape around them. Though it was barren of plant life, he found that it was not lifeless. Various lizards and insects scuttled across the hot rocks as if they did not even feel the heat, and he even saw a bizarre species of bird nearby that looked to be as tall as he was with long legs and an equally long neck. He didn't see any of the larger dodongos along this path, however. What was he like? Link frowned and looked back, finding the Goron with his eyes down, tapping his thick fingers against his legs nervously. Well, I don't really have a lot of memories of him. Yet he thought he knew exactly what Darug was like. But he was strong. And kind. That's what everyone always says about him. Boss is always telling me that I need to try to be more like him. But when I ask what he was like, he tells me, that he was strong and kind. Yonobo looked up, meeting his eyes. But no one knows what he was really like. Oh. Link immediately felt shame for his thoughts regarding the Goron. He was certainly different than Daruk. 
but Link knew something of trying to live up to an impossible expectation. Well, I think he is probably the friendliest person that I remember. And he wasn't just nice to people. He wanted to help them, too. He always wanted to find a way to fix things. As Link spoke, he found that the words started to come easier. Details that he hadn't known a few minutes ago suddenly grew clear. He protected people. If he ever saw anyone in need, he would rush to their aid. A smile crossed his lips. That's how we met. He saved you. I... He hesitated. Yeah, he did. Well, we saved each other. Somewhere around Death Mountain. He saw me fighting some monsters alone and rolled all the way down from the peak to help me. Wow. I wish I was that brave. Yonobo looked up towards Death Mountain. Anytime I see a monster, I just freeze up. Daruk was terrified of dogs, Link said, and then his eyes widened. He remembered that. What? Dogs, he repeated, smiling more broadly now. He hated them. He would react just like you, actually. He hated walking through Castletown because dogs always followed him around. But dogs aren't scary at all. I've seen them before, down at the trading outpost. We're all scared of something, Link shrugged. Darok was just scared of dogs. I think they chased him when he was younger. A new memory blossomed in his head. He could picture Daruk in his mind, standing with his back against the large fountain in the fountain square of Castletown, arms raised to his chest level, trying to shoo no less than four dogs that had come running towards him, barking merrily. Are you okay? Yenobo asked. Link blinked the memory away and was surprised to find moisture at the corner of his eyes. The tears evaporated almost immediately, leaving a salty residue that he wiped away. Yeah, just... I really thought of him like a brother. Now that I'm starting to remember him again... I miss him. I feel like that... when I think of my dad sometimes. Yonobo said, nodding. He smiled faintly. But I try to just think of the good times I had with him. What happened to him? Mining accident. A cave in the South Mun collapsed on him. The young Goron looked over at Link. He died when I was pretty young, so I don't really remember many things about him either. But what I remember is good. Yeah, I... Link tried to clear his throat, but the lump that he felt there wouldn't go away. I guess that's... what I should do too. Just try to remember the good times with Daruk. The young Goron frowned, looking concerned. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought it up. I didn't think about the fact that you were friends with him. No, Link said quickly, shaking his head vigorously. I'm glad to talk about him. It helps me remember him. Oh, then maybe you could tell me more about him, if you don't mind. Link smiled at the young Goron, and began to do just that. Link carefully bounded over the stream of lava that crossed their path, feeling the powerful wave of heat as he passed over its mottled black and orange surface. Once passed, he turned back to look at Yonobo, who simply walked across its surface without much concern, his feet sinking into the shallow stream of molten rock as he did so. I didn't know that Gorons could do that, he said, eyebrows raised as Yonobo shook the remaining molten rock from his feet once across. That wasn't so bad. It's cooled off a lot, see? He pointed to the black spots that covered much of the lava's surface. We don't usually wade in it, but a little thing like that isn't bad. So Gorons don't go swimming in Death Mountain, I take it? What's swimming? Link grinned. Before he could reply, though, he heard a terrible roar emitting from high above them on Death Mountain. He looked up his heart sinking at the sight of Radanya on the slope above them. Its four feet perpetually burned, the individual toes masked by the flames that rose up around them. The feet were at the ends of its long, flexible legs that reminded Link a great deal of the Guardians, except magnitudes larger. Its body was long and slender, though largely flat on its utmost level, 
ending on one side by a long, angular head that ended in a point. It had lizard-like spines raised above its back that continued down its segmented tail. Oh, that's not good, Yonobo said, dread creeping into his voice. I think it saw us. Radonya made another roaring sound, throwing its red-eyed head back before sweeping its tail along the side of the mountain. This action swept the side of the mountain clean, throwing boulders and chunks of molten rock into the air. Run! Link broke into a sprint down the path. It took only a few seconds before the debris began to fall around him. It began with a spray of gravel-sized stones that pelted his arms and face, followed by a massive rock larger than his head striking the ground in front of him. He swerved around the rock, only to feel the ground beneath him shudder violently as a massive boulder hit the path right behind him. The air filled with dust and flying stones. All around him, rock and boulders began to hit the ground, each one causing the ground to shudder violently, enough to nearly knock Link off his feet. He quickly ducked behind one of the boulders, but not before he felt a sudden flare of pain on his arm. He glanced down, eyes widening, when he saw the orange globule of lava clinging to his forearm. He brushed it off as quickly as he could, already seeing an angry red patch of burned skin underneath. When he looked at the fingertips of his glove, he wasn't surprised to see that the leather had been charred in the process. He remained behind the boulder as the rumbling continued around him. He watched as one boulder the size of a small house suddenly rolled past him, and his comparably smaller boulder, continuing on down the slope. If that had hit the rock he was hiding behind. Yonobo. Link whirled and looked around desperately for his traveling companion. Where was Yonobo? It was hard to make out anything in the sudden dusty haze filling the air. With rising panic, Link risked stepping out from behind the boulder and cupping his hands over his mouth, calling for the young Goron. He received no response. Feeling the rumble of another approaching boulder, Link ducked behind his shelter again, closing his eyes tightly. It crashed into another boulder, sending them both tumbling down the hill. Breathing a sigh of relief, Link looked back out, eyes scanning the mountain path for any sign of Yonobo. Yonobo! Still nothing. Gritting his teeth, Link looked back up towards Death Mountain. He could barely make out the shape of Radanya far above him, but the onslaught of falling rocks and lava had ceased for the time being. He risked running out from behind his boulder, ducking behind another, holding his breath after doing so. No roars followed, however. No falling boulders. He did so again, using the dust-filled air to his advantage before it settled. With each step he took back in the direction they had come, the more terrified he became. There was no sign of the Goron. Above him, Rodanya had apparently been satisfied with the destruction it caused. It roared again, and began walking along the side of the mountain again, away from them. Link broke into a sprint now, weaving between rocks and puddles of lava, until he came upon a huge pile of rocks that had completely obscured the path. A rock slide. Yonobo! Link called as he halted, looking around desperately. Is it gone? The voice was muffled. Eyes widening, Link realized that it came from under the rock slide. Hold on, I'll get you out of there. He quickly began to scoop the loose rocks from on top of the rock slide, throwing them away. How long could Yonobo survive under the stone? Was he injured? Unbidden, images of the faceless Goron that he imagined to be Yonobo's father appeared in Link's mind. Killed in a tunnel collapse. He dreaded that the same might happen to the Goron's son. Suddenly the rocks began to shift and tremble. Link stepped back as the surface of the rock pile sank inward, as if a hole had been opened up underneath. As the rocks fell into the hole, Link spotted a curled form in its center, almost indistinguishable from the stone surrounding him. Yonobo! Yonobo lifted his head, looking around and then stood. He reached up, brushing pieces of rock out of the tufts of white hair, and straightened his Goron medallion. Wow, he said, as he walked forward, pushing a path through the loose rock. That was close. Link breathed a sigh of relief, closing his eyes. I'm glad you're all right. For a moment I thought, oh, yeah, I was... 
Inoba looked suddenly embarrassed, eyes turning down. I mean, I'm glad you are safe too. Is that Radanya's defense mechanism? Oh, it can do some other stuff as well. We're probably lucky that it didn't cause another eruption. Link grimaced, looking up the mountain towards Radanya's retreating back. Great, he thought. He didn't really think things would get much worse than spikes of ice being flung at him. Are you able to keep going? Link asked, turning back to look at Yanobo. The younger Goron hesitated, looking nervously up towards the Divine Beast. Finally, he nodded. Yeah, we're not far now. Link turned, continuing on down the path. Yanobo following behind him, strangely silent. He had picked back up the bags of water and elixirs. As they weaved around the boulders that littered the path now, the Goron finally spoke again, his voice soft. I wish I could be brave, like my grandfather. Courage isn't... Link looked back, trying to figure out exactly what he could say to the boy. It's not the absence of fear, Yanobo. You don't seem very afraid. Link laughed a little bitterly. I'm terrified of a lot of things. Like what? Failure. Silence fell between them for a time before Link cleared his throat, speaking again. We both almost just died. A lesser man would have refused to continue on after that. But you're still with me. That takes courage. That's just because I want... I want to help you. I wouldn't be able to do this if it were just me. Link smiled at this, hearing echoes of Daruk in the young Goron's words. Why do you think I'm here? I mean... Link laughed, waving his hand toward the very boulder he hid behind during the attack by Radanya. This isn't exactly my idea of a good time. I'm here to help people. I wouldn't be here otherwise. Inobo quieted, but after a few moments, he stepped up to walk beside Link again. He wasn't sure, but it seemed like the Goron walked a little taller than before. You can come out now, Link called as he deactivated his sword. Around the large cannon, Several bodies belonging to a group of Azolfos lay bleeding. Yonobo stepped out from behind the rock that he'd been hiding behind, looking at the carnage around them. They had come upon the Azolfos as they reached their destination, a rocky outcrop that extended out from the mountain. A strange structure made of rock and iron had been constructed upon it, a squat building with a long opening cut into its front, facing towards the peak of Death Mountain. Lazolfos had apparently taken up residence in the building, but came rushing out when alerted to Link's presence. The battle that had ensued had been fierce, but brief. Thinking back to the tactics that he'd used when fighting the Lazolfos in his memories, Link quickly dispatched the creatures while deftly avoiding their fire breath. He bent down to pick up one of the Lazolfos' fallen weapons, a bladed boomerang, just like he remembered from the past. The Lazolfo hadn't even had a chance to fling it at Link before being killed. That sword is really something, Yanobo said as he approached. Link looked back at him and smiled. It's pretty good. I got it from a friend of mine who studies ancient Sika technology. Like the divine beasts. That's right. His focus was on the guardians, though, and their weapons. Robbie studied guardians. Pura studied the Sheikah slate and shrines. Impa was, apparently a historian, an expert on ancient Sheikah culture, if his memory was correct. Absently, Link wondered if there was someone else who specialized in studying the divine beasts themselves. He turned and threw the bladed boomerang off the mountain, watching as it spun through the air, arcing back around towards him. Narrowing his eyes, he watched its trajectory, stepping out of its way. His breathing slowed as he watched it approach, preparing. Time seemed to slow. Link thrust his hand out, fingers wrapping deftly around the handle and stopping its motion. Wow! Inobo clapped his hands together, grinning at Link. Good job! I would have been afraid that I would cut my fingers. Yeah, Link said, amusing. It had felt as though time had slowed in that moment before he caught the boomerang. He could have sworn that he could see every detail of it as it approached, the orange light of Death Mountain reflecting on its sharpened edges the spots of blood on one of its three blades. 
the wrapped leather of its handle. I have a little bit of experience with these, though. Link walked back to the Lizolfo that had wielded the boomerang, finding the pouch that it used to sheathe the deadly weapon. He carefully extracted the pouch from the Lizolfo before roughly attaching it to his own belt. It would do for the time being. Oh, gross. Link turned back to see that Yonobo had approached the squat building, peering down into it from an opening around its backside, facing away from the volcano. He walked over and looked into the doorway, surprised to see that the building had actually been built down into the rock. Though the outer structure appeared squat and short, the interior was actually quite spacious. It was just mostly underground. Inside the building, Link could see several old skins recently shed from the Lazalthos and the bloody remains of one of the tall running birds that Link had seen on the mountain, along with some other things that he preferred not to look or think about. He also saw a large metal tube on a rotating rack, with one end aimed out of the opening in the opposite wall. The massive Goron Cannon. He stepped slowly inside, boots coming down on some of the filth inside, looking at the cannon with a critical eye. How do you work this? He spotted a stockpile of large cannonballs sitting against one wall. They looked heavy enough that he thought he would have difficulty loading them into the cannon. Inobo gingerly stepped under the structure, avoiding what he could of the refuse on the floor. He walked over to one of the cannonballs, picking it up with apparent ease in one hand. Well, we shoot these at Rudanya. He crossed the room to stand by the cannon, where he slid open a compartment and dropped the cannonball into it with a loud clang. How does it fire? That's where the bomb flowers come in. Bomb flowers? Inobo motioned towards another doorway in the structure that led to another chamber deeper underground. They both stepped down into that room, finding more refuse left behind by the Lazolfos, but also a small pot of overturned dirt. Growing out of the dirt were a handful of large round plants, each roughly the size of a melon, but dark in color, with pale yellow blooms on their tops. This isn't good, the Goron said, looking at the handful of plants. They must have been here for a while. A lot of the bonflowers are gone. They are lucky they didn't blow themselves up. Link crouched to look at the strange plant. Reaching out, he touched one of them, finding its skin to be surprisingly solid. These are explosives? Yep. We usually use them down in the mine. They don't grow well in sunlight. That's why we had to make these side rooms in the bunkers, to grow them near the cannons. How do they work? They're pretty simple, really. Yonobu crossed over the upturned dirt, bending down and plucking one of the bomb flowers from its roots. He held it out to Link in one hand. You can hold it. It shouldn't explode, as long as you don't drop it or shake it too hard. Shouldn't? Link thought, as he hesitantly reached out and took the explosive plant from Yonobu's outstretched hand. It was heavier than its size would have suggested, heavier certainly than his own remote bombs created by the Sheikah Slate. You can blow them up a couple of ways. We used to use fuses, but we figured out a better way. Yonobu motioned for Link to follow, and he did, walking back into the main room of the bunker. Yonobu took the bomb flower from him, gently placing it into another compartment in the cannon, set behind the compartment that held the cannonball. Once he closed this compartment, he motioned to a small lever to one side of the cannon. If you pull that lever, it will slide a trapdoor out from under the cannonball, and then it will roll back and squish the bomb flower. That will make the bomb flower explode and... Yonobo clapped his hands together and then thrust his hands out to indicate the trajectory of the cannonball. Doesn't Radonia retaliate? They were further up the mountain than they had been when they were attacked earlier, leaving Link feeling exposed. Well... Yes, Yonobo said, sounding suddenly more nervous. But that's why we built these bunkers. They can usually withstand a few boulders. Why doesn't it just come down here and destroy the bunker with its tail? Link doubted that the structure would withstand direct confrontation with the Divine Beast. It doesn't come down this low on the mountain for some reason, Yonobo said, looking out of the opening to the volcano. Rodania wasn't currently visible, having circled around to the other side of Death Mountain. But it's still not very safe. We actually passed two other cannons on the way up here. They got flooded with lava. We've been trying to send Gorons up to clear them out and make repairs. But it's been really aggressive lately. 
way more dangerous than it used to be. Boss got injured the last time he tried to chase it off. Great, Link said, exhaling slowly. Well, let's get things ready for when it comes back around the mountain. He really wasn't sure about this plan. He watched the Divine Beast make its slow way around the slope of Death Mountain, occasionally pausing and roaring, or swiping its tail along the mountain and sending debris raining down on whatever poor creatures it had seen. He couldn't help but think that there should have been a better way to do this. He could have climbed to the peak, for example, and just tried to glide down onto the Divine Beast, perhaps. Of course, it would have likely been impossible to fight the creature controlling it, due to its extreme angle. Still, though, sitting in a partially underground bunker and firing cannonballs at it just felt like a poorly thought-out plan, especially when it became clear to Link that Yanobo had not actually done this before. Well, I've used the cannons at the Northern Mine, so I know how to use them, the Goron said defensively, eyes widening. But you've never actually chased Radanya off with them. Well, no. The boss always handled that. And why didn't he come? Link said, feeling his irritation growing. He didn't mind the youth's presence, not after getting to know him during their trek up the volcano, but it seemed reckless of Bluto to send someone so inexperienced. Unoba looked away, wringing his fingers together. I'm not really supposed to talk about it. Talk about what? The edge in Link's voice grew harder. Now really wasn't the time to be revealing more information. Not when they were mere moments from opening fire on the Divine Beast. The boss, he, um... Remember when I told you he got hurt, the last time he tried to drive Rodonyov? When Link just looked expectantly at Yunobo, Agoron's side, shoulders slumping in defeat. Well, it's his back. He got hit with a boulder. It almost killed him. But he doesn't want everyone to worry. It's really difficult for him to get around right now. Link frowned at this. He hadn't detected any indication of injury when talking to Bluto earlier. He seemed fine when I was talking to him. Right. That's because he was trying not to let on how hard it is for him to stand and walk. But he couldn't make it up the mountain. That's why he hasn't come back up to try and drive Rudanya off again since. Link grimaced, looking back out of the cannon opening up towards Rudanya. But you can hit it. I think so. I'm not usually firing at moving targets. Link sighed. Well, I suppose now's as good a time as any to start. He looked back at Nunobo and nodded. Let's do this. Okay. Yonobo took a deep breath, bouncing a little on his heels. You might want to cover your ears. Link glanced at the cannon, and then stepped to the side, away from the cannon's barrel. He pressed his hands to his ears. Yonobo carefully rotated the platform that the cannon sat on, and then adjusted its height, peering up towards Radanya. Once satisfied, he covered the small ear holes on either side of his head, and kicked the lever to release the cannon. The cannon's barrel flashed with white light. Boom. The explosion from the cannon nearly jarred Link off his feet. A thunderous sound struck him, nearly deafening, even with his ears covered, and strong enough to seal the breath from his lungs. He stumbled, reaching out and catching the lip of the opening to steady himself, and looked up, following the trail of black smoke that arced through the air. It appeared to have struck high, above Radanya's head on the mountain. Too high, Link called, but his voice was drowned out by a sudden, angry roar by Radanya. Yonobo had seen what he needed, though, and used a crank to reduce the cannon's angle. He then turned, grabbing another cannonball and loading it. Link, in turn, picked up a bomb flower and set it carefully into the bomb compartment. The whole room smelled of an acrid smoke that bellowed from that opening. Once the cannon was ready, Link leaned against the wall and covered his ears again, nodding to Yonobo. A moment later, the cannon fired again, rattling Link's teeth. He watched the ball fly, following it as it crashed into the side of the mountain, just between Radanya's front and back legs. Link cursed, but Yonobo was already moving, reloading the cannon with a surprising quickness. Radanya, in the meantime, began to stomp its feet. Far above them, Death Mountain suddenly erupted, sending molten rock and smoke high into the air. Link threw himself back from the window 
as the first splatters of lava began to fall around their bunker. The cannon fired again. Yanobo had loaded the bomb flower without his help, and Link had been unprepared for the explosion of sound that hit his unprotected ears. Stunned, he rose, looking around with wide eyes. Yanobo looked out the window and suddenly thrust a hand into the air in triumph, bellowing something. But Link couldn't hear him. He couldn't hear anything but a ringing noise. Link shook his head, trying to rid himself of the ringing but to no avail. He approached the window and looked out, seeing a spot of black smoke rising from Rodanya's face, where a cannonball had struck right beneath its glowing red eye. That was good. What wasn't good was the stream of lava that now slipped off the mountain's side, heading straight for them. He looked back to Yanobo to tell the Goron about it, but almost just managed to get his hands in place again, covering his ears, as Yonobo fired the cannon once more. Link spun, watching the cannonball, as it sailed through the air and slammed into one of Rodanya's outstretched front feet. Rodanya lost its purchase, slipping and collapsing with an earth-shaking crash. Well, at least Link could hear that. Yeah! He heard Yonobo yell. But any celebrations were far too premature, as Rodanya slowly rose back to its feet, seemingly unharmed. Hit it again, Link yelled. Last one, Yonobo cried. Link whirled, seeing the single remaining bomb flower in Yonobo's outstretched hand. Link nodded. It was time to see if his plan worked. And they had to do it quickly. The stream of lava was still rolling down the side of Death Mountain, slowly approaching their position. Yonobo fired the cannon again. His aim true as the cannonball struck the side of Radanya's body. The Divine Beast roared, and far above it, lava burst into the air again. Several new fissures and cracks appeared in the side of the volcano, spewing molten rock out in smaller streams. Link backed away from the opening as lava and rock fell all around them, and quickly pulled the Sheikah Slate from his wrist. He hit the bomb remote rune, and with a flash of blue light, one of the round bombs appeared on the ground in front of him. He picked it up and held it out to Yonobo. Inobu took it, staring at the explosive with wide eyes. Load it! Link cried, snapping Yonobo out of his reverie. He quickly shoved it down into the opening, sliding the door closed. Without waiting for Link to cover his ears, Yonobo hit the lever to open the trap door. And nothing happened. They could hear the door slide open, and the cannonball roll down to strike the bomb. But no explosion. He and Yonobo looked at each other, momentarily confused before Link's eyes widened. He grabbed the Sheikah Slate back off of his waist and hit the blue remote bomb rune. There was a flash of blue out of the cannon's muzzle as the cannonball fired out with every bit of velocity and power as it had with the bomb flowers. The explosion did not seem nearly as loud though, which was a relief. He couldn't very well cover his ears if he had to manipulate the Sheikah Slate. Outside, the Divine Beast roared. Link looked back out of the window and noticed with a shock that the lava flow had gotten even closer now. How much time did they have before it was upon them? Not enough. Rodanya continued to roar and fling boulders down towards them, still largely unharmed by the cannon fire. Yonobo, we need to go, Link called, turning back around to look at the other Goron. Yonobo looked outside, his eyes wide with terror. He danced back and forth on the balls of his feet, fingers twitching rapidly on either of his hands. Finally, he took a deep breath and looked at Link. Keep firing the cannon. I think I can stop it. What? But before Link could say anything else, Inobo turned and ran outside. Inobo! He whirled to look back out of the window, as Inobo ran around to the front of the structure to a boulder that was roughly the size that had fallen near the front of the bunker. He pressed against it, grunting, and it began to move, rolling slowly towards where the outcrop met with the slope of the mountain. He pushed it into place, and then immediately turned, running back towards another of the boulders that had been flung at them. Link forced his attention away from Inobo's efforts, turning back and reaching to grab one of the cannonballs. It didn't budge. Cursing, Link pulled out his Sheikah Slate, entering the Magnesis rune and selecting the cannonball. Slowly, he lifted it into the air with very little effort on Link's part, though the Sheikah Slate did suddenly seem heavier than it had before. 
he carefully maneuvered it over to the cannon and dropped it down into the appropriate slot. He switched to the remote bomb rune and loaded that as well. Imitating how he'd seen Yonobo activate it, he kicked the lever, which resisted his leg far more than he had expected, and then blew the bomb. The cannon fired, sending another ball of solid iron into the flank of the Divine Beast. This time, it started to slowly turn to face them, and Link saw with some horror that its segmented head was starting to open like a blooming flower. He... he knew what that was. He knew exactly what that was, and what it meant for him. Outside, Yonobo placed another boulder in place, and went back for a third. But there was no time. The magma was upon them. It crashed into the boulders with enough force to cause them to shift back in the direction of the bunker. Yonobo cried out, turning around and rushing back, throwing both of his hands up and digging his feet into the dirt behind him, adding his own strength to the boulders. Magma splashed up and over, some of it falling on his outstretched arms and back, but he only ducked his head and pressed harder. The magma began to flow around the boulders, angling to either side of the bunker. It wouldn't last. It couldn't last. Even if Yonobo could hold back the magma indefinitely, the attack that was about to come would end them both. Link loaded another cannonball and went to close the compartment, but then he hesitated. One shot. One more shot. He had an idea. He switched to the stasis rune. A moment later, he loaded the remote bomb and blew it. Though the bomb's explosion rocked the room, the cannonball did not fire. He opened the bomb compartment, the door of which was incredibly hot to the touch, and loaded another bomb. He slammed the compartment shut and blew the second bomb. Seconds. Seconds left. He created another bomb and loaded it, blowing it a split second later after loading the bomb. The door to the bomb compartment blew off, flying up and lodging deep into the stone of the ceiling. Link supposed that would have to do. A second later, the stasis rune rang out, and the cannonball shot out with the sound of an incredibly loud thunderclap, sending Link stumbling back, momentarily deafened. He could still see, though. Redania's head had opened completely, and a red ball of light was forming at the end of the rod that protruded out from the center of its opening. Suddenly, there was an explosion of light, followed by sound, against one of its head fins. Redania jolted violently with the force of it, actually rising up onto its back two legs briefly before collapsing down with an earth-shaking crash. A column of black smoke rose from where the cannonball had struck. For a time, Redania didn't move. Its front legs splayed out to the other side. Then it began to move again, but more slowly now. It rose back to its feet, and its head began to close, though the fin that the cannonball had struck didn't move, remaining open. It turned away from Link and Yonobo, slowly climbing up the mountain towards Death Mountain's peak, which had abruptly stopped erupting. Breathing heavily, Link slowly approached the cannon opening, looking out at Yonobo. He trembled with the exertion, but the boulders he pressed his hands against held. The air around him seemed to shimmer with a strange orange glow, but it was difficult to make anything out with the hazy dust that fell around him. The molten rock rolling down the mountain continued to flow, but it had slowed now that its source no longer added to it. Thanks to his efforts, lava flowed to either side of the boulders, with the space immediately behind them free of the molten rock. Slowly, Yonobo stepped back from the boulders, which were no longer being pressed back. The lava on the other side of them had cooled enough, forming a more solid barrier to the remaining oncoming flow, redirecting it further. Magoron looked up with amusement at the retreating back of the Divine Beast Varudanya, as it crested the mountain and laboriously climbed down into the maw. Yonobo exhaled and turned, sitting on the ground with his back against the boulders. Link met his eyes and smiled, feeling utterly exhausted. After a moment, he raised a hand and gave Link a thumbs up, calling out. That was so cool! 